Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. We're in a, uh, an extended series in which we're just trying to take Jesus seriously. What, what, what would life be like if he really meant what he says? If he really invites us into God's kingdom, which has come and is yet to come, how would our lives be different um, if if, uh, what he was saying is actually true? And so under the kind of the title, Real Jesus, we've been exploring what what, what, what are we talking about when we say in Long Beach as in heaven? What does it look like if the kingdom of God actually shows up? And Darren is, uh, just even here in this snapshot, suggested one way in which that appears. We ought to expect people to be healed. Why? Because that's what happened when Jesus proclaimed and lived the kingdom. We also ought to expect people to be martyred. Because that's what happens when the kingdom comes in places. Not everybody gets delivered. Right? So, so, and, and, and that, of course, is not nearly as, as fun to talk about. Uh, and, and for that reason, we sometimes gloss over those stories that Jesus tells that don't have happy endings, that end with a question mark. Uh, but if we're going to talk real Jesus, we have to talk those stories too, right? Because Jesus is way more than the Hallmark baby in, in, in the manger. I don't know if you've noticed this, but babies, manger born or not, tend to grow up and begin to make demands. No less the baby born in a manger, who is in fact God incarnate, as Darren mentioned, who therefore has the right to say to you, follow me. With, and by the way, when he says that, he doesn't look back to make sure you are. He's not interested in, if I can say it this way or not, pleasing you so that you follow him. He thinks he is the way. And if you think he is, then get on board because then you will discover that he is also the truth and the life. But you won't find out that he's the truth until he has become for you the way. So so what did Jesus know about the kingdom? What did Jesus um, know about the heart of the Father uh, that he wants to teach us in these parables, in these stories? Usually when we look at stories of the kingdom, we look in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark. Those are the predominant Gospels in which stories begin. What is the kingdom of God like? That's where they primarily occur. We don't look typically in Luke. Luke has got a different uh, theological agenda, but one that nonetheless reflects the nature of the kingdom. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 18 If you have Bibles, feel free to turn to that. I don't know how you're going to read them in the dark, but there they are. Um, It will be there when you get home. Um, And what because what you learn is that while God doesn't hide himself from us to tease us. 
He does hide himself from us to train us. How does that feel? Right? While he's never going to let us down, he might be with you when it feels like he has let you down. This is, an, this is an important part of the gospel, is it not? It's critical for us because uh, as we head into this new year, we need to know that the real Jesus is concerned not with outcomes, but with who we are. Wisdom is as wisdom does. Quoting Proverbs. So Luke 18 Verses 1 through 8, notice the verse that starts this and frames for us what it's about. He says, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And here's the parable. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. There was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with this plea, grant me justice against my adversary. And for a long time, he refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she don't, doesn't eventually come and attack me. The Lord said, now listen to what this unjust judge says. Will not God bring justice then for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So um, this framing verse, verse 1, is an important one. Why does Jesus tell this story? He tells it, go back to verse 1 again with me, thank you. So that, and please notice, his disciples. So, so this isn't for the multitudes. This is, this is for those who have decided to enter and engage in the kingdom. And this is a lesson that we need to learn. And I would argue we probably need to learn it as much now as we ever have in the world before. Uh, it, 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 it has been a while since we have seen as many Christian martyrs as are being publicized in YouTube videos as we have in the last hundred years. There have been more people martyred in the last hundred years than the previous 1900 combined. And Jesus told this parable so that people, his disciples, would keep praying and not give up. And not give up. So whatever else you want to pull from this story this morning, remember that Jesus said the primary purpose is so that you keep on praying and don't quit and don't give up. Why do we give up? We'll talk about why that is in a minute. But that's the frame. So here's the story. Uh, and and uh, go on to the next one. 
if you would, thank you. In a certain town, there was a judge. Judges were those who were uh, kind of um, in a position of authority, kind of a quasi uh, uh, um, representative, political position, uh, who had authority to adjudicate outcomes, right? And, uh, and, and this person uh, neither feared God nor, nor cared what people thought. So he would pride himself on his impartiality, a full and complete separation of, of, of faith and state, if you will. Right? And for Luke, of course, this is not good news. Because there is no justice when we don't fear God. This is, this is the reality. If that foundational uh, understanding is missing, sooner or later it wicks its way up into injustice, exponentially increasing. If there is no fear of God, if there is no sense of ultimate judgment rooted in justice that is rooted in the character of God, sooner or later... Other forces will influence what is called justice, but really works itself out to be injustice. With me? So, so here's a guy who prides himself in impartiality uh, and not being afraid, not a people pleaser, right? So this is the scenario that Jesus sets up. And there was a widow in that town. So we have juxtaposed against this judge who is in a position of power. We have contrasted with that judge a widow, who in that culture, again, we've mentioned this before, as a woman, as a single woman, as a widowed single woman, has no power, has no position, has no uh, standing at court. So we have this contrast that is drawn. With me? And they, as he goes through that town, he comes to him with the police. Somehow, somebody has decided to go against this widow. And whether it was uh, her husband had left her, the land to her, or whether a father had died and her dowry was hers, somewhere along the line she has acquired an adversary who is going to take or seeks to take advantage of her disenfranchised position. He, want, he is going to exploit her weakness. Widows and orphans are the two uh, people groups, people classes of people in the New and Old Testament that represent the poor, that represent those who have no voice, who have no power, right? And in fact, if you want to be on God's side, both Old and New Testaments, find a widow, find an orphan, and align yourself with them. But here in this case, this widow is in the crosshairs of an adversary who clearly is more powerful politically. He's more connected than she is. She has no recourse, no uh, voice at all, except one. She comes to this judge who doesn't fear God, who doesn't fear man, and pleads her case. Give me justice against my adversary. And because there is no gain for him in the outcome, he refuses. I'm not uh, moved by your plea. But she is not moved by his not being moved with her plea. She keeps showing up. 
By the way, you'll notice this regularly in the Gospels. People who don't get they, what, what, they, what, they, what their heart deserves, who keep showing up. And so on we go with this next slide. The next verse, please. Okay, the next verse says that because of her persistence, if you, if you follow along, finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God, I don't care what people think, because this widow keeps bothering me, who keeps pressing in, who keeps uh, 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 making appointments, who keeps uh, cluttering up my inbox with emails, because she keeps on doing this, then I will see that she gets justice. Now, please notice, not because he believed in the righteousness or justice of her case, not because there was reward for him, but simply because she kept showing up with the same singular request. Give me justice, give me justice, give me justice. All right? And so he acts on her behalf. And his concern is, I will see to it that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Now, this is an, a singularly unfortunate translation. The word in behind here is never used to refer to attack, i.e. physical attack. It's not like this woman will finally give up asking and start to get out the white powder, start to get out the physical. She's not, she has, this is her strategy. In fact, the word in behind here is embarrass, is shame. In other words, her continual plea will shame him into doing the thing that he will not do otherwise. So apparently he does have some concern about his reputation because he is aware that if she persists, shame will be the outcome. Now, we hear this parable and we think, Jesus, what are you doing here? Because it sounds like when you start the way you start, that what you're saying is that God is an unjust judge who must be pestered into doing the right thing. And that would be to misunderstand rabbinic teaching. In rabbinic teaching, there is a principle that says from the lesser to the greater. If the lesser is true, then the greater must also be true. The lesser here is an unjust judge who does the right thing because he's afraid of being shamed in public. That's the lesser. If that is true, Jesus says, how much more true is it that a good, loving, heavenly father who hears the plea of his children will not act on their behalf? If that is true, how much more is this true? And therefore, if she is persistent in the face of injustice, how much more ought we to be persistent in the face of a loving father who will act on behalf of his children who plead and pray for justice? Do you see what he's doing there? Now, here's the concern. As he walks through this passage, you'll notice 
listen, will not God bring about justice to his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? And here's the difficulty for us. Because the answer appears to be 2,000 years later, yeah, sometimes. 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 People, Hebrews chapter 11, are sawed in half by faith. Sometimes they get deliverance. Yeah? Sometimes they are set free. Sometimes they experience miraculous deliverance from the prison cells in Acts. And sometimes they hang on a cross. Does the one have more faith than the other? Apparently, the word quickly needs to be redefined. Perspective in time is not our strong suit. Have you noticed that? We're not very good at determining how long quickly is. So if we have a God for whom one day is as a thousand years, quickly might mean a little bit longer than we had anticipated. And this is fine as long as we're talking about somebody else. It's really painful and difficult when it's you who is in the middle of the mess, yeah? So, so when we talk about the kingdom in this way, he invites us to say, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And it feels like he shifted the ground. Wait a minute, I thought we were talking about not giving up, about praying. Notice what Jesus has done here. He has reframed what prayer is about. Prayer isn't about getting what you want. Prayer is not about pestering God like you do a parent until finally you get the Twinkie. Right? Because uh, one of the misunderstandings of this from a, from a Christian standpoint is just keep annoying God with what it is that you want. Gimme, 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 gimme. And God will eventually cave. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, even when prayer doesn't work, don't stop praying. Prayer isn't about outcomes. Prayer is about character. Prayer isn't about getting what you want. Prayer is about becoming the kind of person God can trust alone in the dark. Prayer isn't about a healing necessarily, as wonderful as those are, or deliverance necessarily, as wonderful as those are. Prayer is about being the kind of person who stands solidly in the reality of the kingdom come, whether it works or not, whether evidence points to the contrary or not. And you can hear, can't you, the pathos in Jesus' voice. Because he's the son of man who will return. And he looks around at his crew of disciples and says, when I come back, when the son of man returns, will he find anybody who hasn't given up? Will he find anybody who hasn't cashed in their chips and gone home? 
Will he find anybody who has persisted through pain? Will he find faith left? Please notice secondarily that not only has Jesus reframed prayer, he has reframed faith. Faith is not about getting things done. We've talked about this so many times, and I'm sorry to bore you with it again, but it's critical that we understand that faith is about standing in a certain kind of reality. Now, that makes outcomes possible. But whether the outcomes occur, somebody is healed or delivered or whatever, faith stands in a certain kind of reality, whether it works or not. That's why we're subject so often to, to critique and criticism. It's not blind faith. You can't be faithful and be blind. Faith has eyes wide open to everything that is going on and says, still, there is where I stand. And throughout the centuries, the people who have read this passage before us have endured unspeakable persecution and have chosen to stand in a certain reality even if that meant the outcome was death for them. I've been reading a new novel by, uh, no, I've forgotten his name, Endo. He's a Japanese novelist, translated. The name of the novel is Silence. Uh, it's not a quick read. It's a very, very painful read. It's the story of the Christian mission in Japan in the 17 and 1800s. And it is incredibly powerful. And it invites us to consider the silence of God. It invites us to consider... And, and, and the reason I talk about this in broad sense is because I think some of you are experiencing this in an individual sense. Just even now, I have a sense that there are people who have been pleading with God for a child. Who've been pleading with God for deliverance from a situation that is heartbreaking to anybody who describes it. And Jesus is saying to you, no, 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 no. Outcomes are not your business. They're my hands. Stand in what is true. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't quit. Does that make sense? Why, why do we give up? Why do we quit? I, I mean, I think the answers are obvious, yeah? But part of what happens is that we think that prayer is uh, it, the language of commerce, the language of an economy, right? That when we pray, that's how we get stuff done, which is true which is true. However, prayer for Jesus is not about getting things done as much as it is relating in, is in how to be in relationship with his Father. So he invites us to think about prayer not as commercial, but as relational. It's the, it's the primary way of the kingdom. 
We don't, when it doesn't work, then choose a different outcome. Choose a different strategy. It's more about relationship. And this is why I, I, I love this time of, time, of, time of year, in a sense, because this is a you know, New Year's resolution. We talked about it even in our prayer time this morning. New Year's resolutions and whatnot. And it just occurred to me that we probably need fewer of us trying harder and more of us training smarter if we want different outcomes. Does that make sense? Trying is, is, is the story I tell of this is, is a friend of mine who runs marathons. He is ill that way. Um, and and in, inviting me, inviting me uh, to join him one, sat, one Sunday morning in March, downtown LA, I've got a fresh, you know, I've got a, a, a nice little bib, you can get it with shoes, let's, let's do this. And I'm, I'm, I have nothing to do, so I show up. You know the story. I've told this before, right? How far do you think I'd get in the LA Marathon? Yeah, about that far. So, so that, and, 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 and what if I tried really hard? And we could make it, do the same thing with dance. You could do it with, with, with sports. You could do it with, with, with playing, playing the piano, right? Trying won't enable me to play Tchaikovsky. But if he calls me up in August and says, Bill, in March, we are going to run the marathon, and we are going to start tomorrow morning at 6 o'clock, I'll pick you up, and we will walk around the block. You feel the difference? That's tr the difference between training... Uh, we, we have dancers, we have musicians in our community here, right? Who have to train so they can dance. If you have to think about the dance, you're not dancing. If you have to think about the notes, you're not making music. If you have to think about where I'm supposed to be when the football arrives, you won't be there. You have to run the play with the muscle memory of your soul so that when you turn, it drops into the pocket. How am I doing on the sports stuff? Are we tracking okay? <laughs> I always want to verify here. But do, do, do you see what I mean? And Jesus is saying, I want you to become the kinds of people who over time have trained the muscle memory of prayer so that when it's tough, you keep going. You don't quit, you don't give up, you're not distracted, because here's one of the reasons we get distracted. It gets hard, but sometimes we get distracted because it gets easy. And I've gotta be honest, as I look through church history, I think the strategy of the enemy in the Western world has proven to be way more effective than his strategy in the Eastern world. The church is growing by leaps and bounds without respect for denominations in persecuted worlds. And it is dying where there is freedom of religion. We have beds of ease. We can follow without cost. And Jesus says, when the Son of Man returns, 
will he find any faith left in Long Beach? I think we're spiritually ADD. It's another reason. Don't, would that be fair? We're constantly on the lookout for a new vision. Friends, there isn't any new vision. Go into all the world. Make friends for me. I'm with you till you die trying or get the job done. That's our vision. That, by the way, is Matthew 28, the Great Commission. That's it. Do you see what I'm see what I'm after? So, so this 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 longing for new, for distraction by the new, pulls us away from the essential training, because sometimes training is just boring. Now, I watch some of the beautiful stuff that Sydney does in dance, or some of the beautiful stuff that our musicians do, and I gotta tell you. I'm, I'm not a dancer, I'm, not, I'm a technician, I'm not a musician, but there's a whole lot of boring. <laughs> preparing for the YouTube video. There's a whole lot of boring preparing for the music to be made. Nobody's gonna listen to me practice scales. But if I don't practice the scales, I can't make music. There's a whole lot of training that goes into running the marathon. It's just boring. Do you, do you see? And, and I, I use that language advisedly, but I, I want you to get good at being bored, at persisting, at not quitting, at not giving up. Do, do you see? At continuing to love when love doesn't seem to be working. You don't have a plan B. Love is it. When prayer doesn't work, you don't have a plan B. That's the method by which God has given us means to accomplish. You don't like the way the country's going? Don't quit praying. Ramp it up. It's not about protests. It's not about voting our guy in, whoever our guy is. It's about when the Son of Man comes, will he find anybody standing in the reality of the kingdom? And I'd really love when he comes to find a group of people in Long Beach who haven't given up. Does that make sense? Who keep persisting, who determine this year not to give in to a better strategy for changing the culture of Long Beach. Not to give in to, a, uh, uh, to, the, to, the, to the heartbreak of disappointment, but to persist. Because faced with the injustices of the world, it is possible that we might be deceived. So we want to make steps, we want to train towards becoming the kinds of people that God can trust. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.